I think that's the first time he ran in like ever. <laughs> I love Pastor Derwin. No, it is so good to be back, Northland. I missed you for the last three weeks. Goodness. It's been a while. So um, it's going to be a little bit longer today. And definitely because this is 11 o'clock, an hour and a half maybe, maybe be all right. So, uh, well, let's give it up for Pastor Chad, Pastor Gus, and Governing Elder Vince Taylor for the last three weeks. So grateful for them as they have continued walking through the book of Acts in our Empowered series. Well, as I was thinking about where I was going to be going in Acts chapter 8, started to see this, this theme of joy and amazement really throughout this chapter. And I started to think about the last three weeks. So uh, the first week I spent in Kenya, then Egypt, and then last week I spent on spring break with my family. And I was starting to really kind of gather all of these pictures of, of things that brought me joy and also amazement over the last three weeks. And I thought that would be also a great way to share with you what God did on our trip. So, so the first picture that I want to show you is where we met with the Christ Hope staff in Kenya. So just right outside of Nairobi. And that week of investing in these leaders from seven different countries in Africa brought so much joy to our hearts. But then as we got to interact individually with the staff, there's this amazement that bubbled up of how God is using them. I mean, the, these men and women, they are serving in the slums of Africa. And, and I wish I had brought a picture of just what a slum would look like, but it's in the poorest of the poor type conditions and they're ministering to children and families there. And so just the, the amazing staff and men and women who God is using to advance his kingdom in the world. So again, joy and amazement. And then when we went to Egypt, I got to hang out with Pastor Sima. So he is the senior pastor of the largest evangelical church in the Middle East. They average between 10 and 12,000 per week in the heart of Cairo. And so that was very joyous for us. And the stories he told, uh, just, I mean, just leave your mouth like, really that like like that ha that's happening and he'd be like yeah and I can tell you story after story and then we got to participate in a service with them this is the church plant that, that KDEC, they've planted in New Cairo City. And so we got to join them. And so it was, just, it was just amazing to be part of that service. I have no idea what these words are. I know they're Arabic. And so I'm sitting there and I'm listening to the translator who's translating from Arabic to English for us. But just the amazement of just how big our God is. Like that's one of the reasons why if you've never been on a short-term mission trip, you need to go just so that you can experience how big and how great and how mighty our God is. So we were just full of joy and amazement as we participated in that service. Now, this is Nakuru National Park. So this is back in Kenya. And so this is where we're going to go on a safari. But could you imagine waking up to that? I mean, absolutely amazed at God's creation. 
And, and so when, when you're amazed at God's creation, there's just this joy that hangs around. And then we went on a safari a multiple times. Like, well, at least for me, like I'm like, every time they said, hey, anybody want to go on a safari? This guy does. And so I, I, I was always on a safari, but we got to see this. So this is not National Geographic. I actually got video of three lions trying to attack this buffalo. And it was awesome because the, the God was telling us there's three lions and two of them are these young males and one of them was an older female. And then Dallas, she got really frustrated at the two younger males because they weren't doing their job. And so the buffalo won that day and they didn't get to eat him for, for breakfast. But that was so cool. And then we, we got to see a rhino. Like, I mean, this is, again, this is right outside of the Jeep. If we wanted to die, we could have got out of our Jeep and walked over and touched it. It would have been amazing. <laughs> and then we had a giraffe. That, that was cool. We got to learn all about giraffes. And that's why anytime Joni's at the animal kingdom and she wants to go on a safari, I'm like, nah, I won't go. She's like, why? Because I've went on a real safari. <laughs> but, uh, but, but then we, then this is the coolest animal that we saw on, on the, on the park. <laughs> I didn't mean to say animal. Yeah, Joe. Joe's in here, and uh, I love Joe. But here's the reason why I took a picture of Joe. We're on a safari, and I don't know how that sucker's sleeping. I'm amazed. I mean, if you've ever been on a safari, it's not paved roads. It's dirt, bumpy roads, and he's just like, and he was able to stay in his seat, amazed. I mean, absolutely amazing. Here are a couple other pictures that I want to show you. So this is in Cairo. This is the Nile River. The sun is setting. I mean, talking about joy and amazement. And Like I was FaceTiming Joni, and I'm like, I'm in Cairo, Egypt. This is the Nile. This is where they found baby Moses. I mean, this is amazing. And I don't know if they found baby Moses like right here. But it was still the Nile River. And so just, just, beaut you know, just beautiful. And, and then a couple other pictures I want to show you. So the, the, the pyramids of, of Giza, like that was, that was sur surreal. Like I had seen them in magazines and, and you know, watched them on National Geographic and to be there and then to hear how they were built. And I'm like, the aliens had to help you, right? The aliens had to help you. Like, I mean, it's just amazing the, the structures there that are thousands of years old. And then here, here are the last uh, couple of pics that I, I want to show you. But, but if you've ever driven or ever been in a car overseas with someone else driving, this is a great verse. So I saw this, I, I saw this van and what they had put on the back of this, this van in Kenya. And I'm like, I got to take a picture of that. It says, I will not die. I will live and proclaim what the Lord has done to my life. Because if you have ever been overseas and if you've ever, you know, been driven by a Kenyan or an Egyptian, you are hanging on for dear life. And you're like, and you're, and you've got to claim this verse over your life. I will not die. I will not die. I will not, I will live. I will proclaim what the Lord has done in my life. Like, it's so it's amazing because it, like the fact that we did not crash, that's an amazement. And then I came back and I said, I said, Joan, I said, babe, uh, you're, you're actually a good driver. Uh, you're actually a good driver. So you, you probably wonder why this picture made it. Here, here's the reason why this picture made it. Okay, so we leave Orlando and we have to catch a connecting flight in Paris to go to Nairobi. So as we are trying to connect 
to our flight in Paris, we got to go through customs again. So I take my, my carry-on and I had to put it through customs. They wanted me to take my toiletry bag out. And, and so I, I took my toiletry bag out. And then, then this, this French lady, it, it wasn't good enough that I just took my toiletry bag out. She had to unzip it and she had to dump all of my toiletries in this bin. And as, as, as she's pilfering through all of my toiletries, she takes my toothpaste and she throws it away. I'm like, it's my toothpaste. Like, I'm going to brush my, I'm like, all right, all right. But then, I, I was fine with the toothpaste, but then she touched my hair gel. And I'm like, if you really want to tick off a white American, just have a French lady take his hair gel. It was at the beginning of the trip. And I'm like, and I was trying, I was trying in English as, as nice as my pastoral persona could get. Like, please, please, it's my, it's my hair. It's, it's the only hair gel I have. It's not liquid. It's, it's, it's glue here. Look, I'll show you. She, she threw it away. I'm never going back to France ever again. So, uh. So, so when I get to Kenya, so when we actually get to Kenya, we wake up the next morning and I tell the person who's really put together the trip, like, I need to stop somewhere and I need to get some toothpaste and I need to get some hair gel because some French lady got really mad at me and took mine. And so, so this guy leaves and he's gone like five minutes. He comes back, brings, brings me a little paper sack with a used thing of toothpaste. Like, you know, you get that because I'm like, that, that's gross. I don't care who you are. Like, and, and I am a slight germaphobe. And so to use someone else's toothpaste. No. But then he brought me hair gel. And you know what? I, I, I'm a pastor, right? I got to be very spiritual. And I'm looking at this hair gel and I'm like, it's not my hair gel. I'm like, it's not going to put my hair where I want my hair to be. And I was like, you know what? Listen, I'm just going to deal with it. I'm, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be kind. I, I, I'm going to go, ooh, okay, all right, all right. So a week goes by and I have to use some other kind of hair gel. But then when we get back and we're about to get on a plane to Egypt, Liz, praise God for Liz and how much she loves her pastor. Because as she was at this supermarket, she found my hair stuff. And I'm like, the Egyptians are going to be so glad that my hair is going to be in the right place. <laughs> Hair's going to be. So it's in the last couple of pictures that I want to show you are, are just a picture of our team. This is our team in Kenya. And a lot of joy, a lot of amazement. The amazing part about our team is that we're, we're a diverse team, but we have a commonality in Jesus. And that's what is amazing about the body of Christ. And then this was our team in, in Egypt that we got, to, we got to hang out and learn all about what the Lord's doing there with our partner in, in, in Cairo. But then the last picture is just near and dear to my heart. And that picture is my family. So I got to spend the last week with my, with my family. And I always get emotional when I talk about my family because they bring me so much joy. And I'm so amazed at how quick your children go, grow up. You know, like it's hard to believe I will have a senior in high school next year. And I'm like, where has the time gone? And so I show you all of that. And I think we can all agree that we long for joy. 
and we long for amazement. I mean, intuitively, that, that's what the human heart longs for. We long for that thing, those things that bring us joy and to be amazed and to be astonished and to be wowed. But what we will see this morning, I hope will challenge every single one of us. And here's the main point that we're going to flesh out. You ready for the main point? Say you ready. Here it is. When God's people engage in gospel ministry, people and cities experience what? Joy and So when God's people engage in gospel ministry, that's when people and cities can experience joy and amazement. And so, Northland, let this be a challenge for us this morning that God wants us to engage in gospel ministry that will bring joy and amazement to people in and around the Orlando metro area. So with that said, will you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? Uh, and, and they got me a new toy, this this, this uh little screen right here. Oh, I love it. I love it. And so here it is. Acts 8, 4 through 13. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So why are they scattered? Because of persecution, which we'll talk about that here in a few minutes. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great, everybody say it, great joy in that city. Why? Because the gospel and gospel ministry had come to town. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. So he had gone to Hogwarts. He had, he had gotten a, a master's there at Hogwarts. So he was practicing sorcery and he amazed all the people of Samaria doing his little Patronus charms. And then he boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had what? Amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. <laughs> I don't know if that, you know, sorcery. <laughs> anyway. But, but when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. So they ceased following Simon. Why? Because the gospel had come to town. Both men and women, Simon himself believed and was baptized. So, and he followed Philip everywhere. Everybody say it? Astonished. So he's amazed by the great signs and miracles that he saw. And so now we're going to fast forward. So after, after the Lord brings great joy in the city of Samaria, the Spirit of God's going to send Philip somewhere else, and he's going to send him to a chariot with the Ethiopian eunuch. So verse 36. So as they, the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip, traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water and Philip baptized him. Now, this is pretty cool right here. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, just whisked him away, and he found himself in a city. That's pretty cool. And then the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way, what? So he had joy. So what you see in chapter 8 is joy and amazement when gospel ministry impacts a city and a 
person. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we as your church, Northland Church, that we would engage in this kind of gospel ministry that would bring joy and amazement to people and cities. Uh, we, we pray that you would do far more abundantly than we could ever ask, think, or imagine as we yield ourselves to you, as we surrender ourselves to you. Uh, may we leave different than when we came here this morning as a result of the Spirit's movement and his ministry in and among us. For it's in our King's name we pray, King Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. All right, so uh, you just need to buckle up. Uh, I'm going to preach this morning if that's all right. Ah, it's been three weeks, like I said. Uh, it's about time. Number one, here's what we're going to look at. What are some characteristics of gospel ministry that bring joy and amazement to people in cities? So what are some of the characteristics? Now, I'm going to define gospel ministry here in a second, but I want us to first look at some characteristics of gospel ministry that bring joy and amazement. So characteristic number one. The church persisted in life and ministry in the face of persecution and pain. So, so the, the, the church continues to, to persist in life and ministry in the face of persecution and pain. So here's what we see in verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So you, you have persecution that breaks out in Jerusalem. And they're trying to stop the ministry there. Well... They don't stop the ministry. They only inflame the ministry. But when you think about it, you're, you're, you're looking at it and going, okay, well, all right, persecution, maybe we need to pull back just a little bit. You, you know, no, no, no. Uh, they, they, hit, they hit the accelerator. I want us to realize that gospel ministry is not for the faint of heart. And I know there, there's, this, there's this, at least this sentiment that, that floats around in America, that if you follow Jesus, you will be healthy and wealthy and prosperous and no harm will come to you. Well, then they just don't read the Bible. Because what you see here is that even in the midst of persecution, the church continues to flourish. So even in pain and even in suffering, gospel ministry can happen. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. There might be some, some stuff going on in your life that you're, you're hurting. You are in pain. You are suffering. You might not be being persecuted for your faith, but you're wondering if God can use you in your pain. You're wondering if God can use you in your suffering. I want you to, under, I want you to actually understand that it's actually in our pain and in our suffering, God works the greatest. And you, you see that. Because your pain, our pain, might be someone else's provision. Our suffering might actually lead to someone else's salvation. Our hurt might be a help. Our difficulty might be someone's deliverance. And what you actually see in Acts chapter eight is the pattern of the gospel. And here's the pattern of the gospel. You see the religious leaders and the Romans, they conspired together because they saw Jesus and they saw him as a threat. They saw him as an issue and a problem. And they're like, well, let's just kill him and we'll stop this movement. Well, they just made a big mistake because the day they crucified him is the day that they unleashed the power of God on the world. Why? Because you cannot stop God. And that's the reason why. The further we move into the 21st century, particularly here in America, yeah, here's the thing. The church will be continued, will continue to be marginalized. Uh, people will continue to poke fun at us. 
uh, people will continue to ridicule us of our beliefs and our values. Now, I do see that there are some Christians today, they're changing what they believe and they're changing their values to accommodate to the culture so that they don't become the, the butt of all of the, the jokes. And, and that, that's not the way we're gonna go. But I'm not concerned the further we move into the 21st century. And you know why? You know why? Because for 2,000 years, the world has been trying to stop the church, but you can't stop the church that has Jesus at the center. You can't. And so gospel ministry is going to persist even in the midst of persecution and pain. Number two, here's what they did is they pursued the nations without prejudice. So Philip went down to a city in Samaria, verse five, and then in verse 27, on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Now we do remember in Acts one, verse eight, we are told by Jesus that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, what's the next one? Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. So it's in Acts 8, we actually see now the progression of the gospel moving from Jerusalem to Judea to now Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. What's fascinating is that the Greeks and the Romans, they actually believed that Ethiopia was the uttermost parts of the world. And so you have the gospel moving out now. And, 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 I, and I love this because the gospel was not just reserved for Jews. It was reserved for all Thai ethne, for all nations. You see, the gospel is not just for Americans. The gospel is not just for white people or black people or brown people. The gospel is for all people. And so, but if we're going to, but, but think about this church, if we're going to pursue the nations, if we're going to pursue people not like us, we must be humble. We must be humble. And that actually means that we need to check our ethnocentrism at the door. You're like, that's a big word, Josh, ethnocentrism, meaning that you think your nation is, is superior, your ethnic race is superior. You, you do realize that there is not an ethnic superior race. The superior race is King Jesus and the race that he is creating through his blood. And so you, we, we just gotta be humble. And, and then we gotta be sensitive and inquisitive. We need to ask questions. I, I, was, I was asked recently, why are you so comfortable around black people? <laughs> That's what, it was a kind of a funny question. I'm like, uh, I don't know how to answer that. And, and, but how I answered it, because I've learned to be inquisitive and sensitive and just ask questions. Like I want to seek to understand rather than to share of trying to be understood. So if I could just sit and ask questions, and, and, and sometimes when you ask questions, here's another thing that you're going to be, you're going to be comfortably uncomfortable. I remember years ago, I was uh, sitting down with a, a black friend and I, I said, listen, I know this comes from a white guy, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a silly question, it's a little uncomfortable, awkward, but I'm just gonna ask it. Do y'all wanna be referred to as black or African-American? But I had to enter into it because if I want to participate in gospel ministry without prejudice, then there's going to be times where I have to be comfortably uncomfortable. I've got to be inquisitive and sensitive. I've got to be humble in my own life. And there will be times I have to be willing to be misunderstood. But what we see here is the church pursued the nations without prejudice. Like, 
Like we want to be a church without prejudice. We desire diversity, not because we desire diversity in and of itself. We desire to, to embed ourselves into the heart of God, who is a diverse God, in the sense of he's reaching a people from all peoples. Number three, preach the good news of the kingdom of God. So they preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Look at this, this is absolutely stunning. Preach the word, verse four, proclaim the Messiah there, verse five, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about who? Jesus preaching the gospel in all the towns. I loved it. You do realize we only have one message. And that's Jesus, death and resurrection, and that through his death and resurrection, he is the king who is making all things new. That, that, that's the only message that we have. Like I remember, now, the, the person didn't come and tell, you know, they didn't come to tell me, they told somebody else who came and told me, and, they, and the person that came and told me, well, this so-and-so just said that uh, you just preach the same thing over and over and over. Listen, I only got one thing to preach. I mean, it's Jesus. That, that, that's it. Like, even if I give you, like I'm, I'm giving you all these points right now, they all tie back to Jesus. So if I'm gonna tell you how to repair your marriage, and if I give you 10 steps, but I don't give you Jesus, then I don't give you what the Bible would give you. I got one message. I'm a one-trick pony, baby. I'm a one-trick pony. I'm very, very sorry. <laughs> but they preach the good news. It's all about Jesus. And anybody and everybody who is a believer can tell other people about Jesus. All you're doing is sharing how Jesus has changed your life. And so preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Number four, they, uh, and this is my favorite, so tell your neighbor this is his favorite right here. Because perform signs and deeds that reflected the kingdom of God. So when the crowds saw the signs he performed, for with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame uh, were healed. So there's, there's a typo. Sorry about that typo. Astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So when, when the gospel comes to town, it not only comes in word, but it comes in deed and power. It comes in signs and wonders. It comes in signs and miracles. But all of those signs and all of those miracles point to a greater kingdom, point to the kingdom of God because it was with Jesus' first coming, he inaugurated, he started the kingdom of God. And so anytime you saw Jesus do signs and wonders, they, he reflected the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of God is coming to reverse the curse of sin. That's why in God's kingdom, there are no poor, there are no marginalized, there are no oppressed, there are no, there are no homeless or hungry or sick or orphans. It's in God's kingdom, everyone is welcome, everyone is invited. Like I said, there's no superior race, there's no inferior race. And so therefore, the signs and miracles are always pointing to the centrality of Jesus and the kingdom of God he inaugurated. And, and, and so so that, that's what we want to pray towards. 
Like I, I, I can't even tell you the amount of parents that I've had come up to me and just say, can you pray for me? I have a teenager and just fill in the blank. And, and, and I tell you, I get a little overwhelmed because I'm like, there's nothing that I can tell you that's going to miraculously change your teenager. And so that's why when we say we need to pray, that's why we need to pray for the spirit of God's intervention in people's life because there, there's nothing that we can say that might can change some, some, some people's mind. But there is a spirit of God. And his name is the Holy Spirit. He is the third member of the Trinity. And what we cannot do in our own power, he's like, oh, oh, I can do it. I can do it. And so we want to pray that way when situations come up. We want to work towards the kingdom. We want to work towards manifesting the kingdom. That's the reason why we have ministry to the marginalized. That's why we partner with ministries to the homeless and the hungry. That's the reason why we have ministries like Welcome 19.5 and helping the orphan, helping foster kids and foster families. Why? We were wanting to show the inbreaking kingdom of God. And then I want us to expect and believe the spirit to show up and do supernatural work. That, that was one of the biggest takeaways of my time in Egypt. It's just to listen, listen to story after story of how, how the spirit of God is showing up. They even, they even shared with us that, you know, they got to the point years ago where they told the Lord, we cannot reach Muslims. We need you to reach Muslims. And when they started to do that, they actually started to have Muslims come to their church and said, we had a vision. We had a dream. And then there are just prayer meetings, just regular old prayer meetings where you just have a group, and this is what they were telling us, that they were just a group of ordinary believers praying over people and they're seeing healings take place. I mean, it's not this big, huge service where people are coming down and healing and being slayed. No, no, no. It's just these groups of people, groups of believers coming. You got a need. You, you need healing. We'll pray for you. And actually seeing healing. One, one of the greatest stories, I mean, I'm just dumbfounded, was when when you are, are born, you are either you, you get to classify your religion, either Muslim, Christian, or, or whatever, in, in, in Egypt. Well, so if you classify as a Muslim, then if you ever wanted to convert to Christianity, you're breaking the law. Well, so there were a couple of women who converted from, from uh, Islam to Christianity. Well, the, the punishment is death. And so there was this one particular story that the pastor was sharing with us where the, the husband had locked his, his wife in, in the room and he's meeting with the family to see how they're going to put her to death. Well, she's in the room praying hundreds of miles away. There's another couple in their living room praying for her. And in the blink of an eye, the woman shows up in their living room. You know, but, but here's the thing about American Christianity is that we want to sit there and we want to be skeptical about it. Well, are you sure she didn't get in one of those little fast buses? Are you all, I mean, because that's what we did with Asbury a couple of weeks ago. You, you, have all, you have all of these Christians want to weigh in. Was it really a revival? Was it really awakening? I, who cares what it was other than the fact that there were a bunch of college students wanting to seek the Lord with all of their heart, soul, and mind. But here's the thing. If we continue to sit here and be skeptical about the movement of God, God will never move. 
That's the reason why we want to see God move. Like we want to be a church that expects God to move in a way that we can't explain where he gets the glory. Because when gospel ministry comes to town, they perform signs and deeds that reflect the kingdom of God. And then the fifth characteristic is this. They paid attention to the Spirit's leading. They paid attention to the Spirit's leading. So I love this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, I know growing up, we, we all played the game Simon Says, right? Simon Says, touch your nose and you touch your nose. Simon Says, stand on one foot and you try to stand on one foot. You know, Simon Says, you know, jump up and down, you jump up and down. Like, that, that's great, that, that's fun. And then, they, you know, the kicker is when they don't say Simon Says and you do it. And, and that's, that's where you start getting all the laughs. But I, I want us to play another game as the church. And the game is The Spirit Says. The Spirit says. The Spirit says, don't say that. And, and we don't say that. The, the Spirit says, don't take that job. And you don't take the job. Now, but, but again, here's what we, we, we like to do. Well, it's more money. They got better benefits. But the Spirit is telling you, don't take that job. The Spirit says, I want, you to, I want you to go talk to this person. And again, I'm guilty of this. And I'm like, well, the, uh, I, 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 I took a personality test, Spirit. <laughs> and I'm an introvert. Are you sure this person? I'm a little scared. <laughs> the Spirit says, I want you to find a church to partner with in gospel ministry. Well, I, you know, I, do I really need a church, Spirit? I mean, I, I'm just good. I mean, listen, I can watch online. I mean, do I really need to be part of a church? The Spirit says, I want you to help this family. Well, I mean, things are already tight here. Like, see, again, that, that's the reason why we have a very hard time here as Americans who, who are Christians because we want to sit there and debate and argue when the Spirit is telling us things. But you see what Philip is doing. Angel of the Lord, the Spirit says, go south. He goes south. Spirit told him, go to that chariot, stay near it. He runs to the chariot. May we be a church that is sensitive and attuned to the Spirit of God. Now, now here, here, here's the definition of gospel ministry. And after those characteristics, here's, here's, the, here's the definition. And, and you'll see this as familiar. Gospel ministry is the church's participation in God's mission of engaging neighbors and nations, both in words, so pre- proclaiming, preaching the word, and deed, seeing the inbreaking kingdom of God, as well as in every kind of environment. So when things are good, gospel ministry is still good. Even when things are bad, Pain, suffering, gospel ministry is still strong with the good news of King Jesus through the power of the Spirit. That's gospel ministry. So if you are part of Northland Church, the whole idea of our mission statement is that we're engaging in God's mission through gospel ministry. And and here's the thing about gospel ministry. It's active and not passive. Like if you truly are at a church that is engaging in gospel ministry, it will always, it will always be active. 
There there will not be a sluggish moment, a lethargic moment. There's not gonna be a dull moment. Why? Because gospel ministry is greatly needed in people's lives and in cities throughout the world. There will always be people who have frowns that need to be turned into smiles. There will always be marriages to men, illnesses to cure, addicts to free, families to strengthen, oppressed to liberate, marginalized to elevate, hurts to heal, the confused to be counseled, and there will always be lost that need to be found. So gospel ministry is active and not passive. And then gospel ministry is always performed by ordinary Christians. Like if you're waiting on me or the staff to perform gospel ministry, that's not biblical. Like you, you, you can be part of a gospel ministry. Everybody all right? All right, good. Number two, here we go. So th- th- this is, this is, This is for the non-Christian, the seeker, the the young, immature believer, and it's for our reminding as mature Christians. But, But here it is. When does joy and amazement come to people in cities? When does joy and amazement come to people in cities? So, so there's actually some shifts that we actually see here in chapter eight that actually need to happen for, for you to experience eternal everlasting joy and amazement. So here's shift number one. Shift number one is shift from being addicted to counterfeit gods to accepting Christ as God. You do realize that before you come to Jesus, before I came to Jesus, there were some counterfeit gods in my life, in your life, that you worshiped in order to bring you joy, satisfaction, and amazement. So in Samaria, the counterfeit gods for the Samaritans was Simon the sorcerer who performed all of his little magic tricks. And so they were just so amazed by Simon. And they followed him for a very long time because of all of the things that he did. And so as long as Simon is performing his magic tricks, there's joy and amazement in their life. Now, for Simon the sorcerer, his counterfeit god, well, actually God's, was fame, was praise, and was prosperity. So he loved the fact that people praised his name. He loved the fact that people called him this name, the, oh, like the, the, the great God. And so he loved that stuff. He loved making money. That was, that was his counterfeit gods. But the gospel came to town. And what you see with the Samaritans is that they ceased following Simon, finding their joy and amazement in Simon and his tricks, and rather they found their joy and amazement in Christ. Now with Simon, now here's the thing that you gotta know about Simon. Simon actually tried to straddle the fence. He tried to have his counterfeit gods and have Jesus. Like, so he, he looked and he believed and he was even baptized. But then Peter and John, they come to town and they pray for the Samaritans and the Holy Spirit falls down and the Spirit of God begins to do some pretty amazing things in their midst. And so Simon looks at what the Spirit of God is doing and he tells Peter, listen, I'll give you, listen, I I will write a big fat check. Listen, I'll Venmo you a lot of money right now if I can get that power because man, if I had that power, oh my Atlanta, my business would boom. So you see what's happening with Simon the sorcerer is that he's, he has his counterfeit gods. He believes in Jesus and is baptized, but he tries to marry the two. Listen, you can never come to Jesus with the mistress. 
You either get all of Jesus or none of Jesus. And that's what Peter, Peter actually rebukes the living snot. That's in the Greek right there. Like he rebukes the living snot out of Simon. But, but I, I do want you to, to know though, that even though 2000 years have passed, we still got counterfeit gods. Health, money, materials, possessions, jobs, positions, titles, success, greatness, praise, fame, sex, relationships, even religion with a works-based system of righteousness. But you, you do know the problem with counterfeit gods, right? Now, I've never, I've never done drugs, but I, I've read and I've heard stories where when the drugs start wearing off, you gotta go back and get another hit. See, that's what counterfeit gods are. See, as long as you live in that house, you have joy and amazement. As long as you have that job, there's joy and amazement. As long as you got that money coming in, joy and amazement. As long as people are praising you, you got that joy and amazement. And so you keep going back to that counterfeit God to get that hit, to get that hit so that you can have joy and amazement. But when Jesus comes to town, you don't have to worry about getting another hit because he is the one hit wonder. And so have you found the real Jesus? Because that's the permanent, that's the permanent shift. Now, the, the second shift, and um, you, you know, here, here's the shift. Let me just shift from anchoring one's identity and what they are to who and whose they are. Now, we, we see this with the Ethiopian eunuch who was a royal court official for, from the queen of Ethiopia. Now, so there's, there's actually three descriptions that, that Luke gives us for this man. The, the first description is that he was from Ethiopia. So he is identified or described by his nationality and his ethnicity. Now, what, what, what is so important about this for us today is that particularly here in the U.S., we like to identify ourselves by being American and many times, especially over the last five, 10 years, we like to identify ourselves politically too. And so what we see here is that this man is from Ethiopia, but that did not bring him joy. Now I want you to, I want you to wrestle with this for a second. Being from Ethiopia didn't make him rejoice. There was no joy and amazement in the fact that he was from Ethiopia. What brought him joy and amazement was that he was converted as now he is a child of the king. So again, I love, I love living in America. I love being an American citizen. There, there really are a lot of perks to being in America. But at the end of the day, that is not my identity, nor is it yours if you are a child of the king. And I'll give you a for instance too, because if you start finding your identity in being an American, or if you start finding your identity in being a Democrat, or a Republican, or a conservative, or a progressive, you've seen, you've seen what's happened in the last 10 years. If your person gets in the White House, you're like, ooh, yeah, I'm proud to be an American. But then, your sucker loses, and then another person gets in the White House, and you're like, I want to run to Canada. You know it's true. And if that's where you find your identity, 
You will constantly be trying to find hits to have that joy and amazement. But your identity is not that you are an American, but that you are a child of the king. And this is one of the things that I love here is that it's not just Ethiopia. God claims Egypt and Kenya and Zimbabwe and South Africa and Sudan and Morocco and Saudi Arabia and Iraq and Iran and Pakistan and Afghanistan and Russia and China and Thailand and India and Indonesia and France and England and Germany and Ireland and Finland and Greenland and Mexico and Colombia and Chile and Ecuador and Argentina and Brazil and Canada and the United States of America as mine. That's what God, he claims it all is his. Second, Luke also describes him as a eunuch. Now, if you don't know what a eunuch is, uh, Gus Davies will, will be happy. It's Gus.Davies. Now, Luke gives this description. Now, the, him being a eunuch was not by his choosing. It was probably done because of his job as an official in the royal court of the queen of the Ethiopians. But he's, he's described as a eunuch. In our culture today, there's so much talk around people's sexual and gender identity. I'm a lesbian, I'm gay, I'm bi, I'm trans, I'm non-binary. And a swath of our culture teaches that you are your sexuality, you are your gender. And to be happy, to be joyful, to be amazed, to be satisfied, you need to own whatever your sexuality or your gender identity is. That's how, that's how real joy, real amazement, real satisfaction comes in your life. And those who would adopt this ideology, they'll just tell people, you just need to free yourself from Western civilization. You need to free yourself from, from the church's teaching and you need to enter into the 21st century where there is a buffet and you can choose to be whoever you want to be. Such a demonic ideology is leading an entire generation to be confused as to their identity of who they are. We are not our sexual orientation. We are not our sexual history. We are not our gender. Those might be descriptions, but they do not define you, nor are they your identity. And if you are trying to find your identity in anything or any one other than King Jesus, you will be frustrated your entire life. Only Jesus can bring you everlasting, eternal joy and amazement. Why? Because we all were created in the image of God. Every single one of us, we were fearfully and wonderfully made in the womb of our mother. And then when we got old and we realized, man, things are not all that they seem to be. We're broken. We are messed up. Then we hear the good news of King Jesus, that God sent his one and only son to die for our brokenness, to die for our sin, to make us whole again, to make us new. And that's where your identity should lie. Not in anything else. And then the third description is this. Luke uses the description, an important court official in charge of all the money of the queen of the Ethiopians. So this guy has a high-ranking government position. He has power. He has wealth. 
He has position, he has status. I mean, again, from, from an American perspective, he would have everything that we would want. But that is not who he is. Those things did not bring him joy and amazement. But what brought him joy and amazement was when Philip shared with him the good news of King Jesus. And there he proclaimed Jesus as Savior, as King, as Messiah. And he was baptized, which meant that he is identifying with Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And when he came up out of the water, having identified himself with Jesus, that's when he started rejoicing. Let me ask you, is that where you found your identity? And then the third shift is this. He shifted, he shifted from confusion to clarity about the truth. You know, as he's reading Isaiah 53, he doesn't know. But Philip comes up and he's like, do you know what you're reading? And do you understand it? And the Ethiopian is like, no, I don't understand it. He's like, let me help you out. And there, just like Stephen, just like Peter earlier in the book of Acts, they take the Old Testament and they interpret the Old Testament in, the, in light of Jesus. There are gonna be people that God places around you. They might not be reading Isaiah 53, but they're reading something in life where they're trying to figure out what their purpose is, why they're here, what's their identity, how do I do this marriage thing, how do I do this parenting thing, and God has put you right there sent you right there to tell them about how all things are possible in Jesus Christ, our King. And so there, there's a lot of confusion today, but church, we have the truth and we have clarity. And God has put us in a world that is so confused, but he's given us clarity. And let us make sure that the clarity is King Jesus. But then the last point is this, and then I'm done. Who plays the central role in bringing joy and amazement to people in cities? And the answer is not Philip. The answer is not the church. The answer is the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit of God. And I, I truly, truly want us to begin to, to lean that way. Like we're not going to grow. We're not gonna see people come to know Jesus. We're not going to see families restored. We're not going to see marriages healed. We're not going to see teenagers awaken to truth without the spirit of God moving in and through us in gospel ministry. He's the central player to make much of King Jesus through the conduit called his church. And when his church engages in gospel ministry, they bring joy and amazement to people in cities around the world. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that Northland would be a church that is used to bring joy and amazement to men, women, boys, and girls. I pray that we would surrender ourselves to gospel ministry, every single one of us a minister. Father, I pray for our, our identity. I pray for those of us who are believers that our identity would be anchored in you. 
I pray that our clarity would be anchored in you. I pray that we would reject the counterfeit gods of, of culture, the counterfeit gods that, that we had before coming to Jesus and we would receive and that we would cling to Christ as God, Christ as our King. Father, we are grateful for what you are doing in our midst. We pray that you won't stop, that you would continue to move in a way where you only get the glory. For it's in your name we pray and all God's people said, amen.